Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we now turn to your word, we ask that you would be glorified in all that transpires here as hopefully you were in our worship of you. You are the one in whom we can trust no matter what we face. Please speak to us today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading today is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. <clears throat> Before I get into today's text, I want to put, it, put this text into context, actually to two different contexts. The first is, why are we doing this walk through the book of Ephesians in the first place, which we'll finish today? The hope is that by so doing, we will avoid the mistakes of the Ephesian church that they made that led to Christ himself sending them a letter in the revelation that he gave to John, in which he rebuked them for while they were seemingly doing everything else right, they had forgotten him, their first love. With that in mind, we have been following the Ephesians' journey from their founding around 53 AD until the time of this letter, which is about eight years after their founding. <clears throat> after today, we will be looking at Paul's letter to, to two letters, Timothy, as well as Timothy had served as, as pastor there a few years later after this letter. And we'll also be looking at John's epistles John had also spent a lot of time with the Ephesian church. And the hope is that by looking at these letters, we will hear some of the issues that the pastors dealt with in this church before they got that letter from Jesus. Hopefully, from all of this, we will learn from their experiences, from the experiences of these brothers and sisters, and never, ever forget our first love, Jesus. Something that might not have happened if the Ephesians had done what Paul tells them to do 
in our text today. The second context I want to address is this, the context of this passage in the letter itself. And I, I know what I'm going to say is a gross oversimplification, but I think it kind of catches the gist of, of what we've covered so far in the letter. The, the first part of the letter was filled with doctrine and theology and teachings about who we are in Christ Jesus and what God has done and, and why he did it. In the first part of the letter, we looked at everything from that from before the foundation of the world, we were predestined by God for the salvation that we're now experiencing. We looked at the fact that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. We looked at the reality that we are now the church. We are now Christ's body. And because of Christ's love for us and his work on our behalf, we can now have peace with God and with each other. In the first part of the letter, we also heard a, a few times and quite strongly about the absolute incomprehensible greatness of God's love for us, a love that transforms us. And we heard that we are now children of God who once were lost and without hope, and we have been brought near to God in and through Christ Jesus. And there's a ton more in that first part of Ephesians. I heard one speaker the other day say that it is the most packed theological book in the New Testament. It's an opinion, but it is packed. Basically, the first part of the letter covered who we really are in and because of Christ. The second part of the letter begins with Paul urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. That's verse 4, chapter 4, 1. And then Paul spends the rest of the book basically telling the church what it means as they live out who they really are. Everything from loving and submitting to each other, to do's and don't do's, to instructions about relationships within the family, and directions regarding relationships and behaviors within the church. That's the second part. And then we get to our text today. And this isn't just a section with a very cool metaphor added at the end of the book, independent of the rest. Paul has just told them who they are in Christ, what Christ has done, what his purpose is, and how they ought to behave as individuals and as a church. And then, with all of that in mind, he brings up this final armor of God metaphor. And with this metaphor, Paul is basically saying, now that you have heard all of that, all that powerful stuff about who you are, what God has done, and how you're to behave, now that you've heard all of that stuff, gear up. Gear up and be ready for what is before you. Many of you have probably heard sermons on this text that include a list, lots of information about Roman armor and Roman warfare tactics. Candidly, I like those sermons, and while I'm not going to be doing one of those today, there are a bunch of them on the internet. Just be careful which teacher you listen to, use discernment. Today, however, I, I want to look at this text a little more globally. 
Part of the reason for that is that this text, when it is not correctly handled, can lead to a kind of cockiness that isn't wise. In fact, it can actually be spiritually dangerous. If you were to watch a young boy dressed up in the armor of God that his parents bought him from the Christian bookstore, and yes, you can buy those things. If you were to watch that boy roam the house looking for demons to slay, you might get the point. While that might be cute to see the young fellow's enthusiasm, it would be hard for me to believe that the little guy really understands the part about trusting the Lord for his strength. More likely, he is thinking about his masterful ability to fight or his own strength as he seeks an enemy to battle, or he might just simply be thinking how cool his armor is. Sadly, too frequently, that is how adult Christians who misunderstand this text often behave when we come into spiritual warfare. And behaving that way can be dangerous. Engaging in the spiritual warfare that rages around us while being overconfident in oneself or even in their armor is not wise, particularly if the warrior is paying more attention to their armor than to the line that precedes the reference to the armor, namely that they are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We also do not need to roam around to find an enemy. The battle is being waged all around us. And while I know that Christ says that the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church, which really does, if you think about it, puts us on the offensive, not on the defensive, seeking the fight is not the point of this text. In fact, the word that is repeated over and over is not to be aggressive, but to stand. We are to put on the armor and to stand. But what does that mean, to stand? Paul uses this imagery of standing elsewhere in the letters, in his letters in Galatians 5, Philippians 1, 1 Corinthians 16, and there's others. And the idea of standing or standing firm is to stay true to the Lord, to not be moved and to hold one's ground and persevere and not give up. He is not telling them to go look for a fight. He is telling them that after they really grasp who they are and they behave like it, they will be attacked and they need to be prepared for it and they need to stand their ground and not give up. The most aggressive battle tactic we are told to employ connected to this metaphor are the tactics are to, to pray without ceasing and to stay alert and to persevere. And he meant to do exactly that. And those were not metaphorical terms. Pray without ceasing. Stay alert. Persevere. The real battle is being and has been fought by our Lord, not us. And that fight is going on in places we cannot see. 
And while the victory has already been declared and the Lord of Lords cleanup operation is ongoing, our job is to stand and not lose faith regardless of what's going on or give in to the temptations of the enemy or turn and retreat. Notably, the armor is only intended to work if you are facing your enemy. In the, uh, the book, Pilgrim's Progress, the, the Christian classic by John Bunyan, which follows the journey of a character named Christian who is on a journey from the city of destruction, which is the world, to the celestial city, which is celestial city, which is heaven. Uh, basically, it's every Christian's journey. And it's a powerful, powerful book. When Christian encounters Apollyon, who, who represents the enemy, who will do anything he can to stop people from getting to the celestial city. The point is made that even with all of the armor he is given, which is based directly from this scripture, it remains that Christian's back is completely unprotected. Christian concludes that the only reasonable course of action was to stand and face the enemy, regardless of how fierce the enemy was, rather than turn and retire, leaving his back exposed. While facing the enemy, however, he did have one weapon. And it was not his smarts or our smarts or our strength. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Jesus and God's testimony about himself as contained in the Scriptures. And we need to hold on to that sword. And we need to know how to use that sword since it will do us no good on the ground or if we don't know how to use it. And if we don't know how to use it, it's probably because we don't read it. If you, if you want an incentive to, to read your Bible, this is it. I mean, here's an incentive. The enemy that you are facing wants to kill you and keep you out of the celestial city. God has given you a sword to fend him off. You would be wise to know how to use it. It also would be a mistake to just think that this onslaught is or will be only external. Even if there were no spiritual forces of darkness or principalities mustered against us, we would still face an enemy that will undermine our access and our effectiveness to the celestial to get to this celestial city, celestial city. And, and that is our own selves. The statement that we are our own worst enemy is actually true. When we look at the things Paul says God has armed us with, righteousness, faith, the word, truth, the gospel, the reality is that this armor will also protect us from ourselves and enable us to stand in confidence even against our own dead flesh. We need to be wearing the armor. We need to know our armor, not leave it in a pile or a book or in plans for tomorrow separated from us. Another observation, while I find while I find the, the, the messages that break down 
each piece of armor very compelling. Like I said, I enjoy them. This section about the armor of God is perhaps best applied if we take this section as a whole. The word that Paul uses that is translated as armor of God is panoply. I'm sorry if I don't pronounce it correctly. And, and, and this word denotes a complete outfit of personal armor. The point being that what he is describing is a complete set. It isn't that you can just pick up and choose what you want to put on or what piece of armor you like the best. They all go together. It is the whole armor of God we are directed to put on, not just the word of God's sword, but also righteousness. Not just readiness to spread the gospel, but also a very firm grasp of truth. No belt of truth, the uniform falls apart. No shield of faith, and you're exposed to the flaming arrows, and you are toast. No righteousness, and any readiness you have to spread the gospel will be undermined. You need the whole armor of God. In fact, Paul says exactly that. He says, put on the whole armor of God, not just the parts you like. And then we are to stand our ground and persevere and not lose faith or give up. Paul also gives them some very specific commands in this text. But it is the first one, and I've referenced it, uh, that, is, that sets the foundation for the rest. And it is, be strong in the Lord. And the, the, the Greek here makes it clear that this is not a suggestion, particularly if you look at it as it's meant. Paul has told us who we are and how we are to behave, and now he is telling us, commanding us to gear up for battle. And it begins with finding our strength in the Lord, not our money, not our smarts or ingenuity, not our health. All of those things can be vaporized in a millisecond, as even our life can be. But in Christ, we have uncontestable strength. He is eternally Lord of the universe. He is all-powerful, and finding strength in Him is drinking water from a well that's never going dry. Paul tells us to find our strength in the Lord. Do we? This means relying on Him and not on anything other that we too frequently do. And here's the thing. We really are in a battle. And we have real enemies. And we need this strength. Because the enemies that Paul is talking about and that I'm addressing are not Antifa or the Chinese government. They are, those folks are nothing. They're going to pass away. The enemies we really need to contend with and who attack us and who want us to give up and, and lay down our armor and run so they can polish us off, they're not physical. And these enemies, real enemies, aim to kill and destroy. And sadly, if you've been a believer for very long, 
you can probably recall standing next to a person who you thought was a Christian who dropped his shield of faith, turned, and went the other way. And, and you have probably seen that person's descent into destruction. This is real. And just because we cannot see this enemy does not negate the reality that there is a war waging against Christ and against his church. It's real. However, if we put on our armor, we can stand. And nothing can harm us as long as we do not turn in fear and expose our backs and take off our armor. And remember, it is the Lord who has and will prevail over his enemies and who will place them under his feet. That is not our job. That's his. The final observation I want to make about this text is that undoubtedly Paul believed that what he had just said was also true for himself. He also would have put on this armor. Yet as we are hearing him say, be strong in the Lord, and as he's commanding us to put on the full armor of God, Paul also reminds them that he is in chains. Honestly, that doesn't fit. How can this man who is telling us to be fully armored up like a warrior, who is to stand and be strong and take the enemy with the full strength of the Lord, also be the same man who is the prisoner in chains? This is one of the clearest examples in the scriptures of the two realities we find ourselves in. If you were to ask Paul at that moment, as he penned that letter, while in chains, if he was geared up, he would have said yes. He wouldn't have commanded them to do the same. And he would have said he was winning despite the chains. You see, Paul knew, and we must always remember, that regardless of what is happening in the visible world around us, the real battle, the important battle, is the spiritual battle. Certainly, there are earthly ones that we also need to be engaged in, but ultimately, this world is going to pass away. And what is eternal will not, and that is what we must stay focused on. Many saints before us have been fed to lions and burned at the stake, slaughtered in their grass hut churches, and had their heads cut off. Did their armor do them any good? My uh, favorite piece of art that I have at my house is one of this handful of Christians in the Roman Colosseum with the Roman emperor looking on as lions are circling around this group. They are huddled around one man who is standing with his arms in the air looking to heaven. Those Christians whose bodies were torn by the lions were so fully armed that nothing could harm them. From the world's perspective, it looked like they, they were lost. But they did not lose. Not in the battle that matters. In fact, they now, in reality, wear a crown of glory and crown of victory for the rest of eternity. 
and those who killed them are probably burning in hell. Who won? Paul was in chains, physical chains, but he was entirely behind his shield of faith and he was still wearing those readiness shoes. In fact, at the end of our text, he's even asking the brothers and sisters in the church to, to pray that he could continue to make the gospel known, even from prison. He was not done. Paul understood he was ultimately in a spiritual war and he was proclaiming the word and he was entirely basing his future on the righteousness of Christ and the circumstances weren't what mattered. He remained fully geared up, even in chains. Brothers and sisters, the truth is our world has gone crazy. When, when it can now be detrimental to our well-being to say things like there is a God or God made male and female or slaughtering children is bad or God's laws about homosexuality are true. There, there might soon be a day that detrimental will turn to dangerous or deadly. And, it, and it's not made up. It's not paranoia. Our world is going crazy. And, and while we might, not want, we might not find ourselves in a Roman prison or being circled by lions, it really is vital for us to understand that it is the same enemy that is standing in front of us and wants to do all that he can to keep us from experiencing the celestial city. So we can't make the mistake of standing in our own armor or on our own strength. We will lose. We need to take up our faith in Jesus. We need to put on a breastplate of righteousness, yours and Christ's. You need to share the gospel. We need to know the truth, know it, and gird it around ourselves and put on the helmet of salvation and take up our sword, the word of God. And we need to stand and not lose faith, and not give up, and not turn and flee, regardless of the fierceness and the craziness of the enemy. Perhaps, had the Ephesian church done this, they would never have forgotten Jesus. They would have kept their eyes on him. In, in the face of the enemy, the truth is, had they truly relied on the strength of the Lord to stand, they couldn't have forgotten him. So brothers and sisters, I urge you, be strong in the Lord no matter what faces you. Get geared up and stand and never forget Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, we do look to you for our strength. And we ask that you will give us the strength to stand and to remain faithful 
to you. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Use us for the furtherance of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen.